Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Daily MTG Podcast. I'm your host, Trick Jared, here with my two co-hosts, Tifa Mayan and Gavin Verhey. How was the pre-release, guys? It was amazing. Oh, it was so much fun. Finally getting to hold these cards and playing some Dragon's Maze Sealed with the pre-release packs. I couldn't have asked for more. Uh, I'm glad you guys had a good time, because I, I only went 1-3 at the employee pre-release. I, I had a good time. I enjoyed my deck. I, I pulled an audible, you know. I was in line with Ryan Spain waiting to get my pre-release deck, and I had gone in thinking I was going to pick Rakdos. And if there's one thing I've learned at Wizards, it's that you listen to limited advice from Mr. Limited Resources, Ryan Spain. And he told me to pick Celestia, so I picked Celestia. What are your guys' decks? So I actually participated in three different pre-releases. Uh, one was the employee pre-release, which I did... I asked for a Simic, got Simic Is It, which would probably have been my last pair pick. Um, but it was it was okay. I played a four-color deck, um, and I went 1-3. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a good time. All my games were really close, so at least there was that. And then... I went 4-0 with Simic Azorius. Um, so that was awesome and probably my favorite pre-release deck that I had. Um, and then Spell Slinging, I did Simic Selesnya and just had a really good time. Probably won two-thirds of my games, but the whole day was just a blast. That's awesome. Gavin, you went to Atlanta. Yeah, so I played in two pre-releases. The first pre-release I played in was the one here at the very fine establishment of Wizards of the Coast. I was actually a little pressed for time, so I picked Boros, not my usual guild I would choose, but I wanted to just build a fast deck and try and get off as many matches as I could in an hour. So I chose Boros. I got Slezia as my ally. But I was like, you know what? The Boros doesn't need allies. We don't need to play any Slezia <laughs> cards. So I pushed them off to the side, built a straight Boros deck, uh, won four matches in a row and in an hour, so Boros was doing his thing quite well. I, I handed Trick one of his losses. Yeah, you you were among the, the those who defeated me, as was Tifa. Yeah. Uh, I I think I might have been able to win game two had I not had I made a different choice. Like with perfect hindsight, I think I could have won it, but uh, I didn't, so I lost. So that's magic for you. That is magic. That is. <laughs> um, if I if I had a nickel for every time I was like, man, if only I'd played better, I would have won that game. I would have probably not had many nickels, but won a lot more games. Yeah. So uh, I uh, so yeah, I played in that pre-release. It was great. Uh, key card for me in my Boros deck was just like Armed Dangerous, which allowed me to kill people out of nowhere. I was actually playing a game against Tifa, and she was sitting at 13 life. She felt super comfortable. She had like. Her 3-3 double striker in play, this huge worm. She had this 5-3 blaze commando. had, like, and he's a key rune, like, some other creatures. And all I had was a bomber core, uh, which is a 1-2. The 3-1 daring skyjack, which gains flying when it battalions. And, um, like, a 2-2 knight. A 2-2 knight token. And she tapped out for a creature. And I was like, all right, I think I've got you. And she's at 13 life. And she's like, what? So I, I untap. Uh, armed dangerous, my... Daring Skyjack to give it plus one, plus one, and double strike. Attack with everybody. It gains flying. Blood Rush, Rebel Belt Maka, and then that's seven, a 14 in the air right there. Out of nowhere. And that's how my deck performed basically the entire pre-release. Like, these decks are really slow in Dragon's Maze for the most part. And if the game goes along, they're going to crush you. But if you can play an aggressive two-color deck if you try, like if you just get your guys down early and start attacking and your opponent stumbles at all or if you just have some good tricks, it can go a long way. And the great thing I love about Dragon's Maze is you can do that. You can build the two-color deck that's really aggressive or you can build like the three-color deck that tries to get there and it's also kind of aggressive or you can have the slow three or four or five-color deck. And that's what I had in my other pre-release. I went out to the gaming pit in Atlanta, Georgia, or in Duluth, Georgia, excuse me. And I just 
played what we call the Gavin Special inside R&D, <laughs> which is all five colors and all the mana fixing. So I played, you know, some pretty ridiculous cards. Had some mana costs in my deck that didn't really jive up very well, but I naturally cast all my spells anyway. So, so I'm not a big sealed player. But this format was incredible. Like, yeah. I would play this format all the time. I want to try all the different combinations. Um, it was just really awesome. And it's definitely just the most I've ever enjoyed sealed. Uh, and I liked I liked the challenges of, like, what, how many colors am I playing, you know, and seeing how much mana fixing. Uh, like, it was just really interesting and enjoyable. Yeah, and you're definitely not alone there. I talked to a lot of players at the pre-release who played one flat, or one event. Two events, three events, four events. They wanted to play all the guilds, get all the combinations, right. see what everything was like, trying every pair. And they would, you know, g- not get the secret ally they wanted, and they'd make that secret ally work anyway. They're like, I want to play mm-hmm. Rakdos Boros. I got Rakdos. Is it fine? We're just going to play the Boros cards that, you know, I got in Dragon's Maze anyway. So it was cool to kind of see people latch on to trying all these different combinations and figure out what's right. And uh, it is a crazy sealed format. It is one of the most interesting sealed formats we've had in a really, lo- really long time. Yeah, I, I, I love the sealed format. I've gotten to do the pre-release. Like, I did the employee pre-release, and then I went out and checked out two pre-releases. I didn't play in them, but I watched a lot of decks and, and saw people's deck building. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I, I have to tell you guys, I had two MVPs in my one and three deck. Thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, Varol's the Scar Striped is a beast. Like, I, I knew he was good. He became the number one target whenever he would hit the board. He is the uh, Golgari Maze Runner, and he is one black green legendary creature troll warrior. Two two. Each creature card in your graveyard has scavenge. The scavenge cost is equal to its mana cost. So anytime a creature of mine dies, it immediately becomes food for the other creatures and can and make them bigger. And then also I can sacrifice another creature to regenerate Varols. So he just becomes this, you know, self-feeding beast where I can sacrifice a creature to regenerate him and then scavenge them to make him stronger. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the real, like, in the game we played, you actually you took a game off me with rolls, and the real hard part to deal with is the fact that he regenerates. Because right. Because you can pile counters onto him and keep attacking, and it's hard to get rid, rid of him. And in the meantime, I'm holding removal spells, and I can't really effectively kill your creatures because they're just going to pile onto your other creatures and make them bigger. Right. Yeah. It is a, a nightmare to deal with that guy. That is certainly a strong card to have. And at only three mana, he can come down relatively early and start impacting the game. Right. Which was pretty impressive. Yep. Tifa, did you have any MVP cards in your deck? Yeah, uh, in the deck that I went 4-0 with, I had Unflinching Courage, which uh, yes. was awesome. Because I also had a couple of the green gatekeepers, which gain you 7 life if you have 2 gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and together, like I'm not a, usually a big fan of life gain decks. This deck worked really well in this format because... I didn't have a lot in like the beginning game. Uh, I had you know some stallers, but I'm really trying to get to my late game with the deck. Uh, and having that life gain later was really beneficial because they're like, all right, like you know they see that I'm like like six or eight life, thinking that they're gonna get me, and then all of a sudden I gain you know five life by putting unflinching courage on something that right. was just a little guy, or I put down a gatekeeper and gained seven life uh, in one game against somebody on the brand team. I actually gained 14 life by like turn five. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was basically, he was like, well, that's probably game. Um, <laughs> so it just worked out really well. And every one of my games, like those cards really helped me to get there. Yeah. I feel like life gain is actually a, a sizable theme that it, what hasn't been present in the block until dragon's maze. I mean, you have the gatekeeper, you have, you have the unflinching courage, I had Blood Baron of Viscopa in my deck, and he is a 5-mana 4-4, four four, and he actually is a, one of the Mythic Rares, so I was really excited to see him. 
and he was lifelink pro-white, pro-black. And as long as you have 30 or more life and your opponent has 10 or less life, Blood Baron of, Vis- of Viscopa gets plus 6, plus 6, and has flying. So if I can get the Unflinching Courage going, or if I can get the Gatekeeper to gain me 7 life, then I and hit that 30-point life. And then once I've got my opponent down to 10, the Blood Baron just becomes this ultimate finisher where he's a 10-10 flyer that's so hard for your opponents to deal with. Yeah, that's almost impossible. I, I had a game where I came down to 3 life and then got the Baron out. <laughs> and he never hit his you know super ultimate mode, but he was strong enough to actually pull me into the game and to ultimate victory. Yeah, just the 4-4 lifelink with protection from white and protection from black is really strong because a lot of the good removal people play with is white and black, right. and a lot of the red removal doesn't deal 4 damage. Yeah. So it's it's awesome there. And plus, in this format, everyone is playing so many colors that they're probably going to have some white or black creatures. So it is really, really rough to deal with that kind of guy. Right. Yeah, especially when he's at 10 because then that takes away like so much of the removal. Yeah. Another card that was an awesome card was Etherling. The uh, the blue card and and can one of you uh, tell us what Etherling does? I don't I don't have it in front of me. Sure. So it's four blue blue, for four five, mm-hmm. and it has a plethora of abilities. You can pay a blue to exile it and then right. re- return to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. You can pay a blue to make it unblockable until the end of the turn. You can pay a colorless to give it plus one minus one, or pay a colorless to give it minus one plus one. So this wide range of abilities lets you play both offense and defense. In fact, this card, I think, is even constructed playable just because you put them down there, you, you play them with seven mana usually, so you have a mana untapped, so your opponent can't really remove them effectively. Right. You, you can block, bounce them out, he comes back at the start of your at the end of your opponent's turn, great. Then you untap, you maybe make him unblockable, attack, flip his power a bunch to make him eight powerable, say, hit your opponent for eight points of damage, fl- bounce him out again, he comes back into play untapped, can block your opponent. It is hard to deal with this guy. In fact, yeah. we were talking about this in R&D the other day. There is a very, very, very small list of magic cards that can defeat this card. There, Split-second cards can do it. Right. Pithy Needle can do it. And some weirdo cards like Stifle on his trigger can do it. But it is so hard to fight this guy if your opponent has mana up. I, I saw someone do it at the pre-release. And what they did was the opponent played Etherling and tapped out. <laughs> that is the one way that, you can do it. That is the mistake. Don't make that mistake, guys. Uh and he had the, I guess it was Crisis Incubation in hand mm. that then shuts off all of its activated abilities. So right. once you've got it locked down, it can't, they can't use any of those amazing abilities. But uh, yeah, because don't play Etherling tapped out. Always keep up activation mana to do stuff in response. Right. Or at least if you do, know that it's a risk you're taking. Because there are times where maybe you look at your opponent and you think, well, he's white, blue, green. He probably doesn't have a lot of removal. If I tap out and play this this turn, it's going to do a lot more for me in the race than if I tap out and play it next turn. Sure. Of course, then you might be walking into like an incubation just like that. So it's a, it's a calculated risk in general. If you, have, if you have the time, I would really recommend playing it with mana untapped. Because if you just leave a single blue mana untapped, it takes two removal spells to get rid of him, which is going to be pretty hard for most of your opponents to do. And if they burn two removal spells on one card, you're still in pretty good shape anyway. Right. We all had a great time at the pre-release. But also, we're able to draft the full Ravnica block, and holy cow, do I love this format. Yeah, I've only drafted it a little bit, uh, and it's definitely different than probably any other format I've drafted before. Um, like, cause starting with Dragon's Maze, you basically just have all of these combinations open to you, uh, and, you know, I'm used to just trying to think, alright, focus on two colors, but with this format, it's I'm sure it's possible, but it's almost impossible. Or at least it feels like you're just not taking advantage of this format if you do focus that way. Right. Um, so it just has, like, 
this totally different feel um, and thought process behind it when you start opening your pack and looking at what the options are. The thing is, I think a lot of the two-color strategies can be playable. The, pro- the problem is it just takes a lot of restraint to do that. It's like a kid in a candy shop. You go in, and you're like, I want these six different kinds of candy, and you want to play all these different <laughs> colors. When you have to go in and be like, no, nah, I'm just going to buy 20 gumballs today. You don't right. want to eat, you know, it's not as exciting. But if you just draft, say, Boros in the first pack, you actually end up with a pretty good deck because you gra- grab the Boros cards in Dragon's Maze. You take the Boros cards in Gate Crash, and maybe some players can't take those now because their mana is so crazy you can't play your uh, red-white 3-2 creature on turn two. Right. Right. And then in Return to Ravnica, you get to lap up, you know, some reasonable aggressive cards. Even cards like Rakdos Cackler, you could potentially play because it's a hybrid card. Right. Yeah. But yeah. This draft format is so much fun to play with. I uh, the original Ravnica draft format, Ravnica Guild Pact Ascension, was one of my favorites of all time. I've drafted that format numerous times. I mean, I it's one of my most successful tournament formats of all time. I love it. I still draft it even reasonably now, and I do when I, when I can. And this might even eclipse that. Starting with Dragon's Maze as your first pack is so great because you have all the options in front of you. One problem that the original Ravnica block had, especially in R&D's eyes, is, the, is everything was mapped out, right? Each set had its guilds, and that was it. But starting with Dragon's Maze first, you open up your pack, and you could end up in any of the guilds in the first pack, which pads you perfectly down to the next two boosters. Right. And it creates so much interesting dynamic gameplay. Maybe you start off in Boros. But you take, in your first pack, you take a split card that has uh, an Azorius half. And then you're going to your turn of wrapping a pack, you open up a great Azorius bomber, and you're like, hey, I can play this, and then take this card that I already drafted back in Dragon's Maze, right. and it gives you some extra incentive. So there's, there's mm-hmm. some really cool stuff going on there. Yeah, well, and I definitely, I can see it working that way, where you start out in one guild, and then pack two or three, you pick up like a third color with another guild. Um, but also what I did today is I sort of started by having both Gruul and Simic cards. And then when we got to Gate Crash, I sort of like looking at the cards chose one guild to focus on from there. So then um, I started picking just Gruul cards because that seemed more open. Uh, so basically I ended up with this awesome Gruul deck with just a couple blue splashes, which in this format is perfect. And then of course in the third pack you set yourself up perfectly if you want to grab... Um, you know, another guild there. You can pick uh, some it cards up if you want. Yeah. You can play, you know, maybe your Pursuit of Flight or something to give your Gruul creatures flying. So you have that great option where the, the colors overlap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, my, my best Dragon's Maze block draft so far has actually been an example of where I did force just one guild and basically get the, the two-color deck, which was uh, Rakdos. I was able to get Exava as my opening rare for the Dragon's Maze oh, pack. perfect. And then I was just, you know, cherry-picking red-black, I was able to get two or three Rakdos Drakes, which is a, a two and a black for a one-two unleash flyer. That guy's pretty uh, good. He's really good. And yeah. with Exava, and then when I when it came to the Gate Crash pack, obviously Rakdos isn't in there. So I was I was touching on both Gruul, so I, I would pick up a couple of Blood Rush cards, or I was touching on Boros, where I would get a couple of the additionally aggressive cards. But then it came the RTR pack, and I was the only RT- Rakdos drafter at the table. It felt like I just kept getting got Cacklers, I got Shred Freaks, I got all of the the Rakdos creatures we know and love and really got this fun Rakdos deck that allowed me to go undefeated. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the math of how it breaks down, there are eight people in a draft. Right. There are ten guilds across all the combinations. Now, some people, the way the draft works out, are going to be multiple guilds, right? They're going to be drafting three, four colors. So all the guilds will, will be represented. But the trick is that there are a lot of two-color cards. 
So, you know, like if you want to play a red-white card on turn two, the four-color deck isn't going to really, really want that card because their 3-2 two for two isn't going to fit in that deck. Right. But if you're just Boros or if, you know, you're just Rakdos, you can pick up those cards late, and those are the cards you want in that kind of aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the kind of card that will, will allow you to run over the more aggressive or the more uh, controlling strategies. Right. Uh, it, it, as you're saying, the, the numbers work out because there's ten guilds. Even though you may be sort of focusing on one and touching on a second, there's often going to be a guild that's untouched, or there's the, there's a fair likelihood that you could be the only drafter for one of the less popular guilds. So it's a viable strategy to go. I, I feel like Rakdos is being untouched, so I'm just going to really push it as hard as I can and try to reap the benefits down the, the road. Reading signals in Dragon's Maze is really important. Like, when you get your pack back around after the first eight picks, the the booster is so strong. Like, Dragon's Maze is a really high-powered set. Right. So when you get a strong card back, it's a really good signal that might be open, and then you can take that. And if you just go down that guild's path and the second and third boosters, um, whichever one it, it lines up with, you could be in really, really good shape. Right. Yeah, well, and even if... Even if there's people at the table focusing on the same guild, they probably have a different guild combination. Right. Which means that, you know, something is more likely to be open, like, with that combination. Right. And they can also be looking for different cards, too. You can have two green, blue, red drafters, but maybe one is more of an evolve-focused deck. And the other that's, you know, planning to go in the late game. And one of them is more of a gruel-focused deck that wants to attack quickly, but blood rush its creatures. And they can be looking for totally different cards because mm-hmm. that's with all ten mechanics, they'll play out in very different ways. Right. Absolutely. I'm really excited also because we're just weeks away from the Pro Tour, and that's when we're going to see the pros on camera drafting this set and really see what some of the greatest minds outside of this building think about this set and how to play it. Yeah. Do you guys think that Standard will be changing with Dragon's Maze added? Oh, absolutely. I think Dragon's Maze is a really powerful set. Zach Hill's swan song to Wizards Development. (laughs) You put a lot of juice into this set, and it's going to be exciting to see which cards get played. I know there's a lot of high-profile cards. Rawl Zarek, for example. I mean, Mm -hmm. the new Planeswalker. uh, Voice Resurgence. um, Advent of the Worm. Like, there's a lot of cards that might rejuvenate some old archetypes, too. You know, there's a lot of cards for the Return to Raffinga guilds that weren't totally... Uh, you know, didn't have all the pieces they needed the first time. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a lot of really exciting stuff happening. You'll see some of the old favorites for sure, but there is going to be plenty of Dragon's Maze cards sitting on the tables. I feel pretty yeah. comfortable about that. I'm also really excited to see what, what RTR block ends up looking like because it's going to be block constructed at the Pro Tour along with the draft. And so I can't wait to see, you know, we haven't really gotten to look at Return to Ravnica block. And I'm really interested to see how the pros approach the format. Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be a Celestia? Are they going to be guild archetypes, or are they going to be some just abusing the powerful mechanics in here? Yeah, if you look on mtgonline.com, you can see some of the deck list players have been playing online with just Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash. Absolutely. And the format looks very interesting so yeah. far. I mean, it's fascinating looking at all the cards people are playing. And the cool thing about Block Constructed is there are cards that maybe aren't quite good enough by standard, because there's Innistrad cards, you know, you have Snapcaster Mage messing things up, or what have you. Right. But in Inside block, there are some cards that won't, wouldn't normally be played, being played, which is cool. So you see a lot of the the guild leaders are being played. There's a lot of Aurelias and Obsidats mm-hmm. and exciting, you know, uh, pinnacles of their guild. And you know, the mana is great. A lot of pros have heralded the original Ravnica block constructed Pro Tour as one of their favorite Pro Tours of all time. Oh, really? And I think this one is poised to match that just because you have these great decks, you have all the mana fixing you want, you can play all these awesome multicolored cards. And you can play both aggressive decks, control decks, and mid-range decks. I am thrilled for this Pro Tour, and I can't wait to see what happens in the standard and also how the best minds in Magic draft the format. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's that's really awesome and exciting to see. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, I think block constructors is actually easier for new players because there's less that you're looking at. Uh, like this way you can you can actually just pick a guild and then look at all the cards in that guild and build, you know, if it's your first time building a standard deck. Like right now is a really good time if you want to build a block constructed deck to just sit and look at the different combinations um, where if you bring all of standard, there's like so much more that you have to consider and think about. I um, mean, going like all the way back to Innistrad where like if you didn't play during then, like that's going to be a lot harder to figure out. So I agree that like I'm excited to see, you know, decks that are very focused in on the block. It's also a good great way to prepare for next year too because Innistrad is going to rotate out in just a handful of months now. Right. Yep. So if you focus on what's happening in Return to Ravnica block, that'll key you in kind of for what big strategies are going to be present once Theros comes in. Right. Block is in many ways sort of the, the harbinger, the, the first look at what Standard will look like this fall. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out the Pro Tour coverage. It'll be in a gorgeous, sunny, hopefully, San Diego. On May 17th, check DailyMTG.com and you can watch the live three-day coverage from San Diego. I'll be there overseeing the Renin coverage, so you won't see me or hear me that much, but I will be there behind the scenes. Hopefully you'll get to interact with some of the players and get some of their thoughts on oh, yeah. what's I can't, going on. I can't wait to talk to them. I'm really curious to see. The other thing that's been going on or has happened recently was we had an event at the EMP here in Seattle, which is the Experience Music Project Museum, which is both about art and they've got this awesome like sci-fi fantasy uh, museum section where they talk about a lot of movies and pop culture sort of stuff. And uh, they just opened this new event. And Tifa, tell us about it because you were there. Yeah, so Mark Purvis and I worked really, really hard to make sure that we had some stuff included at the EMP at this fantasy exhibit. And obviously, you know, we had a lot of help from other Wizards employees uh, in this quest. Uh, But the the opening night, we had an event where we had demoers teaching people how to play Magic. Um, I was one of the demoers there. uh, And... That was a lot of fun. Uh, we also had two of our artists there signing cards, uh, Jeremy Jarvis and Matt Cavada, and they actually said that they had quite a bit of attention all night, so that was awesome. And then lastly, we had some of the R&D Spellslingers there, uh, and we weren't sure what kind of audience would show up, but we actually had tons of people all night in the Magic section, uh, really excited to play against people from R&D, uh, learn to play Magic. There was quite a few people that came up to me and said that like they used to play and wanted to like sit with me to sort of be reintroduced to it, and I would let them take sample decks, and it was just a really fun time, really successful night. Uh, and in the exhibit itself, we have a few of our best fan- like fantasy-themed art pieces uh, displayed, as well as some original playtest cards right alongside the beta versions of those cards. And there's also some concept art hidden in the walls. So if if you do live in Seattle or you're planning visiting Seattle anytime this year, I highly recommend going and seeing the fantasy worlds of myths and magic at the Experience Music Project. Or if you just need an excuse to come out to Seattle, it's a great excuse to come. I mean, Seattle is, is awesome, and this is a good time of year to be here. Spring, summer is gorgeous. Yeah. So come out and enjoy some fantasy artwork and uh, enjoy Seattle. So I'm really excited for Dragon's Maze. I'm really excited for the Pro Tour, and I'm really excited to hear from you all. We, we asked for your emails from your pre-release. We got a couple of them. Uh, some technical issues kept us from actually talking about them this episode, but we will dive into them into a future episode. 
Yeah, and if you want to send in some more emails, I'd be excited to hear about any experiences you have at the release weekend mm-hmm. um, or just what you think about the Pro Tour that's coming up. Love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. You can reach out to us if you want to email us, dailymtgcast at wizards.com, or you can contact us directly via Twitter. I'm on Twitter at trickmtg. I'm at Tifa Mayan. And I am at Gavin Verhey. No underscore, no spaces, just like it looks. And we will be back in two weeks to talk more about Magic the Gathering. 